Welcome back to another episode of Girl What? This is Danielle Denise, and I am joined by a very special guest and my sister, Aaliyah, who is a provenance researcher at the Getty Museum. Round of applause for my sis, because she's out here making a change in the art historians. <laughs> Not really. I get so many people mad. Listen, but you're a black woman. You're yeah, going to make people mad. Yeah, my that's part of it. Is a series of rage, but there you go. Yeah, well, that's okay. Well, let's talk about what a provenance researcher is. So provenance is provenance. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's fine. I I had to learn how to say it too. So provenance is basically the idea of researching the history of ownership with an object. So my job is basically is I'm given an object. So right now I work with manuscripts which is just essentially old religious texts, and I track the history of ownership, one, to help keep museums accountable to make sure that there wasn't any issues with its acquisition. This mostly stems from um, a lot of issues related to Nazi-era um, theft. Oh. Um, for example, like one of our manuscripts was looted by the Nazis, hidden in the salt mine. The original owner broke into that salt mine, took it back, and then moved to Chicago. Mm. So that's basically my job is to make sure that like, okay, he took his own manuscript back, which is fine, but was it legally exported into the United States? So that's mm. basically what my job is, is to make sure that, you know, that happened. But also provenance deals into... Um, Get closer with the mic, by the way. So one of the issues with provenance, it also deals with the um, value of an object because its value is related to who the ownership was. Mm -hmm. So if one of the previous owners was say, like one of our biggest owners that we have is a Rothschild. So if it was related to the Rothschild family, the value of that object's gonna significantly go up because everybody knows a Rothschild. Like they're one of the biggest totally. names in the world. You, most people, if you think Rothschild, it's Rothschild. Okay. They're kind of like the Vanderbilts. Okay, Like they're, they're old money. Um, but like then sometimes you have issues where the object was said to be owned by them, but then there's no proof of that because a lot of these rich families, they keep inventories and you can search those inventories. So it's just like, we know you didn't have it. Um, so that's one of the fun things, but it's also fun to find out, like I was able to find a series of initials in an old manuscript and nobody knew who it was. And it was funny, the initials were actually D, S and K. And I know I knew the manuscript was housed in Italy at that time. I'm not Italy, um, Ireland. Mm. And so I was thinking of the most Irish names I could think of. And I thought of dad's name. So David mm. and his name ended up being David Scott Kerr. And David so, Scott Kerr. Yeah. Okay. So I was able to add an additional 50 years of provenance history to the object. And then my most reputable contribution was when our I was doing research on our Foissart which the full name is the Chronicles of the Getty Foissart because that's the name we took on. Um, it's a series of one of four books. Um, three of the books are known. One of the books has been missing since the 17th century and nobody actually knows where it is anymore. Um, but they're very, it's a chronological text, text talking about the Hundred Year War. 
starting with the death of King James II and then moving forward. Um, the manuscript was believed to be owned by the Rothschilds, and then beforehand it was housed in um, Richmond Palace, which is in England attached to um, one, I think it was King Henry. Um, the palace burned down in 1492. Like, this is a well-known fact. Um, but afterwards, there's no history of where this manuscript was until it shows up in the Rothschild collection in the late 18th, 19th centuries. And so I was able to find a very old French text from an eyewitness who stated that all four books were still together at St. James's Palace Library. And so that added an additional 500 years of provenance because I was able to prove it was also in addition to the new Richmond Palace um, because it was part of a series of known as Burgundian manuscripts, which is from the Dukes of Burgundy. Um, and then it went to St. James's Palace and then it went to the Netherlands to be rebound. And that's when they kind of all dispersed. And two of them ended up at the British Library. And then the one we have went to the Rothschilds who I was actually able to prove that the original provenance for that was also wrong. <laughs> so. Okay. <laughs> Let's stop there because you are getting deeper and deeper. Well, this and is also, this is one of the issues when I have to explain what I do because when people think history of ownership, they think of like, oh, you purchase something and you're given receipt. But a lot of time it's not a receipt. It's a deed of ownership. Oh, okay. And those, deeds. Yeah. So, and then the problem is, is those deeds go missing over the centuries. Right, right, due right. Due to maybe loss of fortune, liquidation of assets. That happens a lot. Rich people, they lose a lot of money. Yes, um, things get auctioned off. Things get auctioned disappear. off. And then you have to find the auction catalogs. And sure. a lot of times, like, it will get sold, but who bought it? Yeah, it sounds like you're fine. You're you're a detective technically. You are literally a private investigator. Yeah, looking through all the archives, all and you have to do a lot of research. I have to do a lot of research it's in other languages too. So right, so then you have to know. You gotta comprehend the original language. Is it a lot of Latin, French? Um, mostly it's in French, yeah. Old English, German. A lot of German because Germany did have a massive art boom. Um, I don't really deal with Italian manuscripts. That was mostly my supervisor, but he did help me translate texts. Because um, the biggest houses for manuscripts were mostly France, England, Italy. Um, we do. We are. I'm also looking into Armenian manuscripts. Um, we also have a couple of Ethiopian books, which are also very nice. They're also very colorful, which is nice. Um, there's a lot of gold, which is one of the main reasons I like working with these books because they're very shiny, opulent. Yes, I'm. I'm sure. Yeah, but well, that's very fascinating. I love it. Um, and you guys, this is my blood sister. Okay, I have three siblings. <laughs> you have so to think about it too. <laughs> I did. I was like, okay, one, two, three. And our brother Jai is often on the podcast. You know, a very bubbly personality, Virgo. Yeah, he's a lot louder than I am. Yes. So this is my little sister. She's, how old are you, 28, 27? I'll be 28 in a month and a half. Yes, she'll be 28 soon. So she's definitely a millennial out here just grinding it out in L.A. But doing what she loves, I would say that. And I think she's going to kill it in the art history realm. You know, I'm in the fashion game. She's in the art history. We'll see about that. 
I think you'll do fine. I, hope I think so, you'll do just every fine. major museum right now is going under. <laughs> I mean, listen, due to COVID, everybody is going through it. Oh, so, no, that's not the main reason. <laughs> okay, but well, we're going to keep the main reason off because our topic is completely different. We are going to talk about clairvoyancy. Oh, Lord. Clairvoyance. I don't even know if clairvoyancy is a word, but it just sounds good. I. Don't ask me how to say things because my <laughs> brain will be like try to translate it into another language and then I'll just like malfunction. Clairvoyance. Yeah. It sounds French. Clairvoyance. Probably. Clairvoyance. Probably has the same meaning too. That's cool. But let's actually talk about the actual definition. Let me look that up really quickly. Just so people who don't know can know. You know what I mean? I care about educating the people. Clairvoyant is a person who claims to have a supernatural ability to perceive events in the future or beyond normal sensory contact, i.e. psychics, fortune tellers, and things of that nature. Now, you're not a psychic per se, but you had a lot of interesting moments and you have very vivid dreams yeah. that relate to real life events. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I actually dubbed her as the Green Reaper now. because <laughs> She said it. I was like, yeah, you yeah, you did that. That's interesting. But it's not to say that any of it's your fault. It's not that no. at all. But she's my sister is able to see things and experience, I would say, the other side um, and contact like vividly see them i think that's the difference between you and i i can't identify them at all i maybe felt a spirit and things of that nature but not being able to like go any further than that yeah it's bizarre in a way because when i have my dreams versus me seeing ghosts it's two different kind of emotions attached to it because i'm very bad at recognizing faces but i'm very good at explaining mannerisms and body language which i think freaks people out even more um i think the best example was i was i came into mom's house and i was walking towards the kitchen and there's just this woman sitting on our couch and she wasn't completely opaque she was very like see-through but I had no idea who this woman was. I was just like, who the hell is this person? And so I went upstairs and I was like, mom, there's this random woman sitting on our couch. And she was like, oh, who is it? I'm like, I don't know. And she was, and then she was just like, okay, you describe her. I was like, oh, it's this woman. She's a little bit hefty. And she's like, she's very unhappy, but she's got her arms crossed over her boobs. And then mom was like, that's love. And I'm like, who's love? <laughs> I had no idea who that was. Was this in the daytime? This was, I think, more like 10 o'clock at night because I was coming home from work. Okay. But I had no idea who this woman was. I was like, Mom, there's just this woman sitting on her couch, just unhappy. And then Mom was just like, oh, that's love. And I was like, that's cool. Since I didn't know who she was, it was clearly she was here for you, Mom. And then there was the old man sitting, standing outside of Mom's bedroom. Mm-hmm. And he was wearing like this funny little hat. He had a black tie on. I was like, Mom, I don't know who this old man is. And I think it was Granny's husband. I think that's who she said it was. I don't remember him. Oh, he, I don't. He died way before I was born. Both of us. Yeah. But yeah. she was like, yeah, that's that. I can't remember his name, but she's like, yeah, that's him. I was like, oh, he's just so kind of our great grandfather. Yeah. basically. Yeah. And so I was very confused. I was like, I have no idea. But that's the issue, though, is like when I do see spirits, a lot of times they're not related to me. 
but they're related to somebody close to me and i'm just seeing them kind of as a well it's it's your ancestors technically but the issue is though is i don't really have an emotional connection to those ancestors sure, you may not because you didn't experience them in real time right. but they exist right I have so. an emotional experience to the person who is related to those spirits. I don't know if, if that makes sense. Yeah. So a lot of times it's almost always mom. And it's because mom's doing something that she probably shouldn't be doing. Like, God knows what else mom does. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, that's the issue. And then like a few weeks ago, I was taking a shower in mom's bathroom because that's what you do. And as I was getting dressed and leaving, dad was just sitting on mom's bed. And I was just like, what are you do you was that think, recently? Yeah, this is like the last month. Oh, oh, oh. And okay. I was just like, what are you doing? Wait, why are you here? And he was just sitting at me and he was so unhappy. Let's give context because a lot of people don't know that. Um, oh, right. So my dad passed away last year in April. Yes. So it's been less than two years since he's passed away. It's been only a year. It's about a year and five a year months. A months, yeah. Yeah. But I've been seeing in him my dreams and always he is so mad at me not going to visit mom. Mm. Like my last dream, like I had a dream about Jaden. Oh, my God. So Jaden is our little, little brother. Jaden is our youngest youngest. brother. He's he's significantly younger than us to the point where a lot of times we forget to take him with us places because it's. okay. let's not divulge that. That sounds so bad. Well, no, I mean, (laughs) not like like that. It's just like (laughs) because the significant age gap and the fact that we're all legally adults. It is a huge age gap. He's only 15 and we're all over 20 20. something. So old. it is hard to include him when we decide to go to a bar. Clearly, that's not going to work. So we just have to make accommodations. But. What is the story you're about to share? So I had a dream. (laughs) So this is this. This will all tie it. So I had a dream a few weeks ago where Jaden was out on a boat in the ocean and the boat capsizes and Jaden was stuck in an air pocket under the boat and dad was trying to get to him. And then in my dream, I knew I was like, dad, what are you doing here? Like, I couldn't figure out what was going on. So we were all trying to save Jaden. And so we were all trying to jump in the water and get to the boat, but we couldn't get there. And I woke up. And so in my head, I'm like, oh, shoot, Jaden was on a boat capsizing. So I called mom. I was like, mom, I had a dream where Jaden was stuck in a boat underwater. And then she tells me that she's going to go look at boats with her friend. And I was <laughs> like, OK, so we're not about to do that. And so she ended up canceling. And then Jaden went out to the lake to go on the boats. And then he I was just like so paranoid. I was like, don't get on the boat. And he ended up not getting on the boat because apparently some of the boats were having motor issues. But I was like, I was freaking out that whole day. Like, I was like, mom, do not get on a boat. I have a, for context, I have a deep seated fear of the open ocean. So like, I, no, thank you. What is that called? It's a phobia. It is a phobia. I have too many phobias. Also never post those photos ever again. The tripophobia ones? Yes. I was like trying to scratch my eyes out. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But like, it was like I had such bad anxiety. I woke up sweating and I was like, mom, do not get on a boat. And she was like, oh, we were going to go look at boats. It was her and um, her friend. I remember. Yeah, yeah. She told me about it. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like I told mom told Grammy and Grammy was just like, are you OK? Like you have such vivid dreams. And then she was also remembering I had a dream where we were all in Grammy's house and the house started to fall apart with all, all of us in it. And we were all trying to escape. And then that day, Grandma and Granddaddy got in the car accident. Mm-hmm. And so it's like little dreams like this. 
that make me feel like maybe they have relevance relevance but i think it's just solid coincidence listen grim reaper over here (laughs) i don't know i don't know because it's like they correlate but they don't to me per se because the the way the dream plays out for you versus like what happens is like i want to say yes that's how you are able to turn to come to terms where you're basically predicting death right or some type of chaos but at the same time you're sometimes your dreams don't even be chaotic like for example you told me about a dream your dad and his friend going on a boat right and but then the friend did pass away in real life after that dream but it was like the dream was peaceful right there was nothing crazy but that's the thing though all my dreams relating to family members who have died have been peaceful it's my dreams that are chaotic where something happens but the people don't die and so that's why i'm more paranoid about dreams where i don't wake up with anxiety because that's how i know somebody's actually going to die this is dark (laughs) so for like the biggest example was when great granddaddy died i had a dream you remember the pink house yeah and there was the stairs in the back Mm -hmm. i had a dream granddaddy was walking up those stairs but every step he kept going up the stairs behind him would disappear and then i remember this dream very vividly i've written this down and granddaddy opened the door and i woke up and then that day great granddaddy died interesting yeah so it's just like i think it's a coincidence like oh maybe i'm just remembering the house because it was pink and i love pink but at the same time it's just like oh that happened (laughs) i don't really know what to go about that i yeah i don't either i don't know because that's such a it's a hard thing not to share, you know? I wouldn't want you to, like, withhold that within and be like, oh, well, I've had all these dreams harbored and I don't express them to people that it could affect. You know what I mean? It's yeah. good that you share it with, like, mom and stuff. I do feel like it builds a wild anxiety, too. Oh, absolutely. So, <laughs> I have such bad anxiety. <laughs> right. It's a very delicate situation. Yeah. But let's actually go all the way back to, like, when did you realize, like, this was something that you had like i would consider this something powerful it's a power it's something that you can do not a lot of people can do i can't i've never had that experience so how young were you when you experienced like what was your do you you remember your first vivid dream that led to an a real life event and it don't have to always be death either. You can think of some well, nice problem, positive though. ones. It, is, it does involve death. Always? I remember it vividly because dad oh. would constantly bring it up. Do you remember when Susu's baby died? Yes. And we went to that open casting funeral. I had a dream of that, that baby the night before and had such a bad nightmare. Dad had to wake me up and put me back to sleep. How? I We never even met the baby. That was the problem. I, I met Susu, but I never met that baby. But I had a dream about this demonic baby. And I was crying. Like, I had a legit nightmare. And dad would constantly bring that up. He's like, you remember that nightmare you used to have when you were little? And I'm like, nah, fam. But <laughs> apparently I did. And that's apparently when it started was that open casket funeral for a baby, which nobody should ever do that. Yeah. But then understand. it got worse when granny died. And I think that's that's also the main reason why I don't go to funerals anymore. 
because you can still feel the residual energy of that person at the funeral because they're lingering. Sure. And that's actually watching. Like, let's see who shows up. Who knows? Honestly, I think it's just like, "Mm, these bitches got me the wrong casket. But (laughs) that's also one of the reasons. That's actually one of the biggest reasons I got one of my tattoos. Which one? The pentagram on my left, my left thigh. Because the pentagram is a symbol of protection. Oh. And so I was very scared of malevolent spirits haunting my dreams. So Mm -hmm. I got this tattoo like as soon as I turned. When did I get this tattoo? I think I was 19 and dad was pissed about it. So I don't know. But yeah, that was the main reason I got one of my tattoos because like my dreams were getting worse that year. But I think that was also because of like stress. So. Oh, who knows? Okay. So. So I think probably five was when this started five yeah but that's like unknowingly you had no idea like oh i had no idea what the hell was going related with a baby's death that's nuts no because i had no relationship <laughs> to this child i was just like who what right and like even now i think about it and i don't have like i don't get sad or anything because it's like i didn't know this person i'm not really close to that side of the family anyway so it's just does having this power scare you? Mm, it used to. Mm. It used to, like, I used to have really bad panic attacks. I think from, like, 13 to 20. That's when it got really bad. But now I'm kind of just like, huh. All right, let me call my mother. <laughs> just make sure nothing happens. And then if I ever dream about Jai, I'm just like, Jai, whatever you're about to do, don't do it. Do you think... T- okay, so you see... When you have these dreams, do you feel like telling the dreams either prevents something from happening or anything like that? Or do you just feel like you're just sharing and then you're making it cautious? Like, look, I had this dream. So that one. Okay. Yeah. Because it's just if I have a precautionary thing. Well, yeah, because a lot of times my dreams are related to things somebody mentions or like they in passing a lot like I have the problem is I remember a lot of really small details and sometimes my dreams will equate to that but that small detail will end up being like a major life event Mm. like I used to have oh the dreams I hate the most are the dreams where I'm pregnant like I will have dreams where I have a baby and then without fail one of my friends announces they're pregnant like I just had a friend announce to me that he was pregnant like his wife is pregnant Oh, I was supposed to say he was pregnant. No, no, his oh. wife was pregnant. And so he was like, yeah, my wife's pregnant. I was just like, oh, that explains a lot now. Because I had a dream a few weeks ago where I was pregnant. And I'm just like, that's not happening anytime soon, if ever. But <laughs> That's so bizarre because you're pregnant in the dream. Yeah. And that meant someone else was pregnant. Yeah. Because I think it's because I know personally that I do not want children right now. Or actually, I don't even think I want children at all. And my body, like, I'll wake up and I'm just like, that wasn't right. And then my friend would be like, hey, guess what? I'm four months pregnant. I'm cool. You're getting one box of Costco diapers. <laughs> like, that's all you're getting from me. I mean, I don't know. Pre- dreams of being pregnant yourself could mean something and you might be blocking that. But I mean, I, I don't mean- know. I've never had a dream of myself being pregnant. Oh, I get them all the time. Like within the last five years, I've had one at least three times a year, and without fail, people announce they're pregnant. And it's Could always be your biological clock too, though. My biological clock can go suck it. Sorry, but yeah, I mean that's how we're built. We're built to have babies. So 
that's a whole other con- dis- discussion. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I don't make the rules, okay? But with this power, this clairvoyance power of yours, do you feel like there's advantages and disadvantages? I feel like the disadvantages are pretty obvious. It yeah. kind of creates stress, anxiety, a lot of mental incompatibilities for you just because it involves so many it involves others and so it's like you have to share that knowledge just to get it off of your chest you know i would yeah. i feel like if you bottle that that makes it worse for you oh like, yeah damn i had a dream about mom but i'm not gonna tell her that. oh no i will tell dreams about mom because mom does some things that just makes us go <sighs> yeah sure and so like i have to tell her but that's mostly because i'm trying to keep her from doing something like at this point, it's more of like self like preservation, because I'm like, you're my only living parent. Knock it off. Right. So can you not do that? Fair. But also, it's like, I don't know. I used to bottle it up, and that was a source of like really bad social anxiety I developed in my early 20s, which was a whole whirlwind. But I mean, I tell people if I feel like it's necessary like it's incredibly relevant to their daily life but most of the time i just write it down in a journal oh that's good yeah that's great oh yeah i write i have so many journals (laughs) definitely i feel like journaling is super beneficial even for me because i go to therapy a little well actually less than i normally do due to covid because you can't have those personal interactions anymore so all my appointments have been on the phone Mm. so journaling has been that nice little buffer in between appointments so it's like okay at least i know how to articulate what's going on with me and just write it down and just kind of like let it go you know what i mean it really helps in that regard i mean dating things also really helps because it gives me a kind of a timeline Mm -hmm. and i also couple that with like my um I also keep an emotional calendar like on my phone. And so whenever I have like some like emotional disparity from what I'm feeling that day, I will mark that down and see if it coincides with my dreams of that day. Mm -hmm. Um, My therapist pretty much taught me how to do that. She's like a lot of times your emotions and your hormones are related. And since I'm on a God amount of like drugs, like it's pretty bad. Currently? Yeah. But also, like, my therapist is also the same person who every time I talk bad about myself, she would shoot me in the head with a Nerf gun. So it's very effective. Oh, wow. (laughs) My therapist and I don't do that. But okay. No, I mean, I got lucky with my therapist because she's also she reminds me of Grammy a lot. She's very blunt and very forthcoming. And like whenever I talk bad about myself, she would just be like, we need more effective reinforcement. So she got a Nerf gun. Like, not one of the super powerful ones, one of the weak ones that just goes pew. But, like, that was infective enough. So, like, it's, I don't think it's, like, the best form of therapy. But it also, (laughs) (laughs) it works. Because, like, now when I think about that, I'm like, this is obviously a negative, you know, thought process. And so, negative thoughts and spirits go hand in hand. Because when you have negative thoughts about yourself, benevolent spirits are going to pick up on that. Absolutely. That's like how the universe works, really. Yeah. You attract what you think. Right. Which is why I try to keep kind of the positive mindset about things. Like, it takes a lot to get me angry. That's mostly because I don't believe people deserve my anger. It's energy. It's It's energy. energy, And that's Mm -hmm. more energy than I think people deserve. Absolutely. That's a great way to look at it. Um, Which is why, like, my friends are just like, you never get angry. I'm like, one, because when I get angry, I cry. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I hate that so much, but there's nothing you can do about that. And when I get angry, I get rage, like bottle hot fury rage. And it's just like, if I ever see your face again, I will make sure there's no skin left on it because I am, I never want to see you again. She sees red and it's no turning back. Right. So like, that's why I keep myself like, that's literally why I drink like nine cups of tea a day and I meditate and do yoga. Cause it's just like, I do not ever want to get angry. That's good. Yeah. That's good. I mean, you really shouldn't get there anyway, but I feel you. People can, <laughs> they can make your eyes twitch sometimes. God, like it's, it's awful. It's not even really anger that I have to, that I'm working with. It's mostly disappointment because and I put, I agree. Like even the smallest amount of faith in somebody can turn into the biggest disappointment. And then you're just like, I, I gave you more, like I had more expectations of you than you deserved. And so that's the kind of thing that I'm trying to work with. Like expressing energy in the form of rage just brings it back on you. Mm. And so that's why I'm a very, you know, quiet. I don't really talk much to people I don't know. Like I hate talking in crowds, but like. I hate talking to crowds. You just had like a whole seminar. Yeah. Before COVID. You should have seen how much I was sweating. (laughs) But I'm sure you killed it. Well, it was also like. I have to practice a lot. Yeah, that's that's what it is. You know, you rehearse. But I didn't used to be that way. I got worse as I got older. Right. So that's one of the things that this deals with is that kind of anxiety related stress can turn into you seeing something that might either benefit you Mm. or it turns into a source of contention. Mm-hmm. so i think that's the biggest issue fair so. that is fair that's why i just don't go nowhere <laughs> i mean you can't anyway just stay in the house enjoy your things yeah. um let's talk about some ghostly experiences i mean we definitely have went on a deep dive with your dreams mm-hmm. and how they correlate to real life but what about any spirit related activity i mean you've definitely identified seen our one of our great grandfathers love who would be our great aunt i believe great great aunt no love was wasn't love granddaddy's mom no ah we should probably ask mom like an actual genealogy yeah like who's who i'm not even sure but she's definitely an elder but yeah you were able to see them which is something i've never been able to do the only time I've ever experienced something in depthly to where I still remember it is like when we lived in San Diego, had my own room and um, I thought mom came into the room. Um, I was at my desk, which is facing a window. So my back is towards the door. And then I felt like a hand kind of like, you know, kind of like flip your hair going back from like your neck and flipping the hair and like just that little sentiment I felt. And I was like, oh, hey, mom turned around my door is closed nobody's in there <laughs> so, if anything that that spooked the shit out of me i wasn't sure what to think of it i never really even divulged that to mom i didn't even share it for real it was just like that happened you <laughs> like, really just went nah we not about to do this yeah it was like the hairs raised and then i was just like Mm-mm. i don't know what i was doing anyways but i definitely just stayed at my desk and it was just like okay i don't just don't, I don't know turn how to around that. yeah it was, it was a lot 
it was weird so have you had any of those interactions not at that house do you remember the loft we had with that room crystal ball is that what it was i don't think that was the name in san diego yeah kaya crystal ball oh i don't even remember the address but you remember that room that was like in the back it was like a storage room but mom put like a tv in there i used to have really bad nightmares in that house because th- I think it was also one, it was dark all the time. And I don't know. I always felt like somebody was watching me no matter what I was doing. In there? Anywhere in that, uh, that apartment. Like, I always felt like somebody was watching me mm. and was waiting for something. And I swear to God, I saw somebody just sitting at... You remember the dining table that had, like, the bench? Mm-hmm. I thought I saw somebody sitting there just looking at me. Mm. And I, it was, it wasn't even like a real person. It was like kind of the semblance of an outline of a person, but I was just like, like okay, a silhouette, kind of like a silhouette. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, I don't know who you are. I don't think you're related to me. What do you want? I think that place was actually haunted. That's dark. Yeah. I felt like that at the house. I experienced something because when we moved before we moved in and we did like the walkthrough just looking at the place and the family prior was still there do you remember like locks being on the outside of the door and not oh yeah they used to confuse me i was just like why are you locking people in and then they had a giant uh hold on okay we're back technical difficulties um it's not moving is it recording yeah you see how it's red oh no (laughs) <laughs> oh well it's recording last time it wasn't doing that and that's when i was concerned but yeah no we we lived in a lot of places and some places definitely felt haunted so i understand that sentiment too um there was a time at my mom's house uh temecula where the pictures on the wall <laughs> were falling off <laughs> but it wasn't even all the pictures just yours it was just my photo and mom made me call you my, right mom made my sister call me and there's a a group photo of all the siblings and that fell off the wall which is in a completely different area but that fell and the frame and the glass it all cracked on like my side of the photo it was so <laughs> dramatic and i'm over here like I have a flight in a few days. Let me know if I'm going to die or something. Like, what does this mean? What does this mean? We were all on the phones just doing research. Like, what does it mean when uh, photos were falling off? Oh, yeah. Mom had me looking up every, like, possible meaning. We had to check. But it was also, like, low-key because that door was broken. And it was 100% my fault. But (laughs) But the picture with all of us, that's not on any door. No, it was on the opposite wall. (laughs) It was, yeah, it was in the stairs. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah stairwell yeah so for it to fall there i'm just like what like that's so bizarre yeah somebody so. was mad at you i still went i went to nashville and then my sister calls <laughs> me while i'm in nashville talking about oh be careful and i'm like oh okay great but it's better to be cautious how am i gonna be cautious when i'm drunk already you call me like prime time you do some amazingly outside doing my things okay but when you're drunk you stress me out because it's just like oh god what is my sister doing where is she where did anybody find her she's enjoying herself no see there's a huge difference between my type of drunk and let's say my mother's but we're not going to talk about her because she's gonna have a fit oh please she (laughs) would talk about it herself let's be real 
No, that's not fair. If anything, I'll bring her on and we'll talk about it collectively. Ooh, that's about to be a loud podcast. She, <laughs> you know, but I'm not, I'm not that crazy. Like, but especially now, like for me to be drunk, drunk, I'm at home. Yeah. I'm in a safe place usually. I mean, so. I don't even drink in public. So. Who don't? Me. You? I don't go to bars or. But I think it's also stems from the paranoia of how am I getting home? Because a lot of times I'm driving and I. Well, yeah, if you drive, you shouldn't. Yeah. So, like, I don't drink and drink. Like, I've, I've, I've lost too many friends to drunk drivers. And so I get really paranoid. Like, even if I take one shot, I'm drinking, like, 18 million gla- gallons of water <laughs> to, like, try and negate it. But I just I just don't. I don't really drink anymore anyway. That's but, good. Um, Preserving your liver. More like I'm really paranoid of like heart disease and lung disease and god knows what else from alcohol from well alcoholism was in our family i mean yeah but is that what you're really stopping your drinking from is no i have a really bad fear of addiction which is Ah, why like i don't take like any heavy painkillers i don't drink i don't really smoke that much everything's in moderation because i'm i'm afraid of getting addicted to things you have an addictive personality. Well, I think so, maybe. If that's your fear, I feel like that's yeah. usually what it is. Because that is usually the difference between someone who is an alcoholic, a uh, drug abuser, etc., <laughs> versus someone who can do the drugs and the alcohol without right. overdoing it. Because when, I, he- when I read stories about people trying to quit things, I'm just like, well, it's harder to, if you, it's so hard to quit, don't do it in the first place. Yes, and if so, you've gone that far and you can't quit technically, then that's a problem. Right. Like that's why like the strongest painkiller I'll ever take is Tylenol. Impressive. Yeah, <laughs> but that's also because like I'm I've been in I've chronic pain, so I've been in pain almost my entire life. Sis, you are a mess. I'm aware. <laughs> I, like I don't even know how to describe you. I'm just say fragile. Like you, like I'm one on move and something broke, and I'm like, what? You just went up a stair and okay whole ankles turned i stepped elbows in the, broke for like, hole <laughs> i slipped in the shower which is funny because you I'm, slipped in the shower oh yeah so it's funny i'm a competitive power lifter i've been heavily lifting weights for almost 10 years i've never injured myself working out i have however fallen down a flight of concrete stairs and pinched a nerve in my back i slipped in the shower and broke my arm i stepped in a gover hole and almost twisted my ankle I reached backwards too far to get my phone and ended up pulling two rib muscles. So the list goes on I've and on. S- what else have I done? Oh, I broke my hand in that bathtub when we lived in New Salem. Um, I don't remember. hand? Yeah, there was soap on the floor and I slipped and I hit my head on the bathtub and I uh, hit my hand and actually broke these two fingers. Were you in a cast? Yeah. I want to say I remember this, but then I don't. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, we also weren't very close when we were little. Because you were it, so much older than I was. Well, just knowing that it was at that house, I feel like I would have known. And for whatever reason, you said soap. I'm like, oh, that rung a bell. But it's not, I don't remember a cast on you. That's the it thing. was a sling. They had me in that funky sling. And you just had like a splitter on your yeah. fingers. Okay, then I do remember you then. Yeah. 
I do remember you then. Like, no. <laughs> do you remember me? Then? I remember like, that I somehow disappeared for a few years. Never disappeared, but those ins- that's what I'm saying. Like from birth, because your one year old birthday party, you cracked your head open. Oh yeah, and then when I was seven, mom dropped that bowling hot water on me because I flinched. You ha- yes, you. I had- still have the scars from that. Oh it yeah, never burn, fully healed. Burns don't. They don't go nowhere. They stay. Yeah, they stay. Um, but else have I done? Yeah, no, you are just. I don't know. I don't know how to prevent you from getting hurt because it doesn't matter what you do. You could be indoors, outdoors. <laughs> it don't matter. It's just sky's the limit with the pain. And I, I don't am, know. I will. The direct quote from my chiropractor is, "I'm very sturdy." Sturdy, jeez Louise! Like well, you're no, a goddamn barn. Like I don't want you to be no, I, sturdy. I'm just very dense. I'm very compact. And so, like, okay. when I go to the chiropractor, he's just like, I'm putting a lot of pressure. Is that okay? And I'm like, I'm this tickles. This doesn't feel like anything. But I think that just comes from the amount of muscle mass that I have. But even, <laughs> like, I hear you. Sturdy, I guess, is a word. But it's like, you're fragile first. <laughs> fragile first. Because the fact that, you know, it just takes, like, one slight move and your whole, your whole system shuts down. Discombobulated. Yeah internally or not it's just like it doesn't stop but i'm still alive you're still here because you know there's a purpose i feel like there's definitely a purpose i guess so because you're not meant to die anytime soon no not at all not at all as you can see all your dreams have been about everyone else but you which is funny i've never dreamt about anything happening to me like where something that I personally do attributes to something I'm doing in real life. Yeah. It's always other people. And so that's why I, I think this is also why I developed a personality when I was younger, where I would try to minimize my impact to make other people shine. And I think that's why mm-hmm. I developed such bad social anxiety. Cause it was just like, if nobody can see me, other people can shine or like, that's also why I, I had this issue where I couldn't say no to people. I became very accommodating at the expense of my own happiness. And that's why I got really depressed. Now I'm just like, fuck you. Yeah. (laughs) Once you get to that place, no turning back. Because it wasn't beneficial to me. I was like, oh, you know, in the meantime, these people will also, you know, act in the same way that I am. But it just ended up with people taking advantage of me. And I was just like why am I letting people use me as a doormat? Mm. And before I was like, I deserve this. And now I'm just like, I don't, you don't deserve me as a friend. Yeah. Know your word. So we're not going to be friends anymore. I've cut off a lot of friends in my life. It's okay. As long as you're knowing your worth, then that's all that matters. Cause you come first in every situation. you. Oh, I've told, I've told people like I've, I've told people that I've dated that I'm like, no matter what this relationship comes to, I will always love myself more than I will love you. And you should. Which ends up also causing, you know, distance in relationships. Because people always want you to love them more than you love yourself. But I'm like, I'm my first priority. Always. And if you can't respect that, then this relationship's not going to work. Which is probably why I'm going to end up being a cat lady. Let's be real. <laughs> You're still young. Relax. Am I, though? yes what 27 tell that to my organs in my body listen i can't tell your organs what to do because you are just falling apart at the seams sometimes but i think yeah be like that though (laughs) as far as like what you're doing the impact you're making in the art history realm 
um, the impact you're making for yourself, your mental health, um, and just grinding. Like, you're doing great. Yeah. And I hope you keep that light shining for yourself because you always come first. Let's wrap up. So I like to wrap up with some gems, just some key takeaways for the listeners to take away something from the topic of clairvoyance. Um, If you are clairvoyant yourself, maybe own it. How would you how would you talk to another person who may have this? This this power. So actually, I have an example of this. So my good friend Chelsea, she actually had a dream about a relative. And I asked her, I was just like, well, what was this dream about? She's like, oh, it was one of my aunts, like one of her great aunts. And she was very unhappy with like our family at a gathering. I was like, okay, is there anybody in your family that you feel like is disappointing your great aunt's spirit? And so she immediately called her dad. <laughs> I was just like, I feel that. And so a lot of times, if you feel like you have a dream or you see a family member that you feel like has a close relationship with somebody, you know, I feel like you should tell that person. Okay. because a lot of times it's either based off of a misunderstanding or they're doing something that this family member disapproves of or they're not taking full advantage of the opportunities that have been set before them. And so this family member is trying to push you towards that kind of opportunity. So it's just like it's a lot. It's kind of like how people would dream about like lottery numbers. Mm. And there was that belief that like if you dream about lottery numbers, it's a family member trying to help you gain fortune in your life. Didn't know that. But okay, there's a lot of different meanings. Like I had a dream about me trying to run away from a tsunami. And apparently a tsunami is representational of a overpowering thought process or something that's overpowering your life and you need to kind of work through it and I was just kind of like am I having any issues right now I don't know let's figure it out so I started writing down everything I was doing and seeing if anything was causing me stress like sometimes like it's the best to talk about it yeah so sharing it with you know, the people involved, maybe with people or involved family. or somebody is close to you, someone you're close with and then writing it down to kind of work through it. Kind of like problem solving, like really seeing if you can find what the the vividness of the dream is coming from, whether it's something personal to you or someone else. Also write down like what emotion you feel when you wake up, because a lot of times these dreams, you're not going to remember them when you wake up. But right. that emotional impact will stick with you. Like, especially if you wake up crying, mm. those are going to be like the dreams you want to listen to the most because that caused you deep emotional turmoil. Gotcha. And like, that's something that you, you cannot ignore because it'll start to build up and you'll just end up having a panic attack. And so it's just like, okay, <laughs> we don't want those. Not on purpose. No, it's awful. It's just like, ugh. now I can't breathe for 20 minutes. Okay. I guess this is happening. So that's good i i like that i feel like that's the top top two or three things sharing it writing it down identify the emotional attachment yeah perfect short sweet and to the point yeah uh, kind of a little bit more steps involved but there's like a lot of micro steps in the steps yes yeah, like you know, that's for you to figure it out <laughs> <laughs> a lot of indentation on those bullet points exactly 
Okay. Well, thank you, sis. Mm -hmm. Would you like to share any platforms or social medias that you are currently using? I mean, the only social media I use is Instagram. And that's... Do you want to put it out there? Sure. It's Aya, A-Y-A dot Lonell, L-A-N-E-L-L. So that's it. Beautiful. And then you can always follow... Me and my podcast, girl what underscore pod on Instagram. If you listen to this podcast on Apple, please give it a glowing review and a five-star rating. And that's it for this episode. Until next time, guys. Bye. Bye.